I said, praise the Lord, everybody. Happy Sabbath, church. Let's put our hands together one more time for Rachel Etchison. It's uh, awesome how God just ties things together. You have no idea how much that song means to this message today. I'm grateful to be in the house of the Lord. How about you? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Before we get to our word today, I want to let all of our visitors know that we here at Glenville, we're not crazy. Uh, (laughs) These mannequins here represent what we are planning to do in the future. They symbolize members that are not yet a part of our church. As you can see all around this building, we have banners that say we are building a place for grace. And we mean that. We're hoping in the near future, with God's grace, with his power, with his help, and of course, with his presence, we are going to build a place where anybody, any person from any walk of life is welcome to come in and receive the Lord. Amen? I'm noticing that uh, Keisha is getting more distinguished Sabbath by Sabbath. They put glasses on her now. Praise the Lord. Tom is keeping a fresh haircut, and little Justin looks just about the same. Amen? (laughs) We're happy to have them. Second thing I want to announce to you today, uh, all of our elders in EITs, would you stand? Matter of fact, all church officers, would you stand at this time? If you hold a church office or you're a leader, would you stand? Just remain standing. Being here at Glenville, even as an associate pastor, I stand in the line of great preachers that have come through this church. As you know, this church is the mother church of the conference. Well, we are blessed and privileged today to have our own distinguished pastor, and it is my pleasure today to announce to you that he is now Dr. Myron Piedmont. Well, praise him. You may as well praise him. This, uh, (laughs) for real. (laughs) Oh, man. He's, uh, very happy to say the least today. Uh, this degree was six years in the making, correct, Pastor? Um, But he has thrived. He has pushed his way through. I want to let you know that also he was nominated for a distinguished dissertation, which none of us should be surprised at at all. Uh, And so for all of our church offices, church officers right now, even though our pastor is very cool and he's down to earth, just try your best to slip in doctor every once in a while and make him feel good for the success that he has achieved. Amen. Amen. We praise the Lord for him. Well, today, after that song, and after I recognize that the Spirit of God is in this place, we might as well go to the Word. What do you say? The book of Acts, chapter 2. Book of Acts, chapter 2. As you know, we're in a series now entitled Acts, 
ordinary people. What kind of people? Ordinary. If you didn't know it already, you are an ordinary person. Amen? And frankly, there's nothing special about you whatsoever. Oh, come on, say amen. You are not unique. You are not special. You are not necessarily significant. The only thing that makes you a good person, the only thing that makes you unique is that you have Jesus on the inside. Amen. Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse 1. I'll read from the NIV version because it's my favorite version and I'm the one preaching today. Say amen. (laughs) Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Here's what the word says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Somebody say hallelujah. (laughs) Utterly amazed. They asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so... Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. With your prayers and God's help, I simply want to speak on the subject, power to the people. Hmm. Power to the people. It is Black History Month after all. We better pray about this thing. Father in heaven, I need your help today. The truth is, I can do nothing on my own. I am inept. I am incapable. I have no real significant skills, qualities, or attributes that suit me for the task at hand. But, Father, one thing I do know, if you are with me, your word will be spoken. If you are with me, hearts and minds will be changed. Give me you. Everything else can wait at this moment. Speak now clearly to us, and we will be careful to give you all praise, honor, and glory in the worthy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. And Father, when it's all said and done, my prayer is this, that when we leave this place, nobody may remember the messenger. Not even so much the message, but the master that is hidden in the message. And Father, if you never do another thing, save us all into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say, Amen. Next month, on the 20th, I'll be celebrating 27 years of life. Of course, it is a privilege to be alive, seeing as though as a young black man, already simply being alive, I have beat the odds and the statistics that are against me. And so I praise God for life. 
I celebrate my birthday on that day because it is the date of which I know my parents, for lack of a better phrase, gave me life. It is on that day that I really began my existence. Well, if you didn't know it already, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It is the day that God gave life to the church. Hear me now. Before Pentecost, all they had were converts. After Pentecost, they have conviction. Before Pentecost, all they had was people. After Pentecost, they now have purpose. Before Pentecost, they were simply meeting together in various homes and places. But after Pentecost, now they all have a succinct mission. Before Pentecost, people were simply proclaiming the good news or the stories that they had heard, uh, maybe by witnessing it for themselves or hearing it from somebody else. They simply proclaimed the good news of Jesus. But after Pentecost, now they have the very expressed presence of God with them at all times. Well, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 is sitting down now with his disciples in that which can probably be considered their last meal. And as they are sitting there eating probably a meal of fried fish because it seemed to be Jesus' favorite meal throughout the Gospels, Jesus stops eating for a second and begins to speak to them. And excuse me if I use my own common language here. Jesus says to them, now brothers, listen to me. I want each and every one of you to stay put in Jerusalem. Do not go anywhere. I understand that you might want some vacation time or some time off seeing after everything that we've been through already. Frankly, I get it. But do me a favor. Stay in Jerusalem and do not leave. Remember when I told you about the gift that my father was going to send? Well, that gift is coming soon. And if you leave Jerusalem, you're going to miss out on the best and the biggest and the most significant gift that God has ever given this world. Then comes what must be the most frustrating moment in all of Jesus' earthly ministry. His disciples look up kind of bewildered and not sure and confused as to what is going on. And they ask him the question, Jesus, is this now the time when you are going to restore the kingdom unto Israel? And I I really wish that Luke had inserted an OMG or SMH or LOL in the text because I feel it would have been appropriate at this moment. And I can imagine Jesus, if I can use my homiletical mind and my theological imagination, I can imagine that Jesus breathes out a very heavy and anxious and frustrated sigh and begins to say, brothers, I don't, you know what, I don't even got time for this. I am anxious to get back to my father. But here's the bottom line. It's none of your business for you to know the times and the seasons. But wait in Jerusalem and you shall receive power. Hallelujah. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. Now, I'll make this point now because I know many of you are accustomed to falling asleep towards the end of the sermon. So I'm going to help you right now. So that's at least you get something, fall asleep, wake up, go home, do all that kind of stuff. Here we go. 
The power of God is the presence of God. You don't even know what I'm talking about. There is no greater power on this earth than the presence of God. Hear me now, church. The power of God is not turning water into wine. The power of God is not dividing the Red Sea. The power of God is not Jesus walking on water and calling Peter to walk on the water as well. The power of God is not dividing up and multiplying two fish and five loaves of bread to feed 5,000 plus women and children. The power of God is not necessarily bringing somebody back from the dead back into life. The power of God is not healing a leper. The power of God is simply the presence of God. Everything else is simply a natural result of God being there. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Everything else is simply a natural result of creator coming into alignment with creation. Yes, 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 yes. The power of God is the presence of God. And naturally things happen when divinity invades humanity. The power of God is not what God does. The power of God is who God is. God does not necessarily possess power so much as he is power. And wherever God is, things have to change. It just so happens that when God is in the room, things that were once impossible now become possible. Things that were once dead now rear up back into newness of life. Wherever God is, power is there. And that's why the word tells us, Willie, not by might and not by power, but by my saith the Lord. And you'd be surprised how many people are seeking after might and power when they ought to be seeking after the spirit of God. You'd be surprised how many people go through so many things in their lives and they have no idea that the battle that they are fighting right now is not with the person on their job. It's not with their spouse, their husband or their wife. It's not with their supervisor. It's not with their enemies. At the end of the day, some things are spiritual and not natural. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And most oftentimes, if you want things to change in your life, you don't, can't use any natural human wisdom. You need the spirit of almighty God. And some of us will be dealing with things until the day we die, until we invite the presence of God to come in and take advantage of the situation. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you because the Holy Ghost is my presence and my presence is power well fast forward with me now Bible says that they begin to pray and worship God continually day by day they are having worship and seeking his face Luke says that they were continually at the temple praising God 
And as well, really, they should be, because the truth is, even though Christ told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come, the disciples and really the rest of the believers were still fuzzy on the details. The truth is, they had no idea exactly what the Holy Ghost was. <laughs> Y'all not hearing me today. They had no idea what the Spirit was. On top of that, they had no idea how the Spirit was going to come. Peter, I can't remember. Did he say FedEx or UPS? I don't know. What, what, what did he say? On top of that, not knowing what, not knowing how, they did not know when the Spirit was going to come. And brothers and sisters, waiting is hard enough when you have some of the details, but it's made worse when you don't know what's coming. You don't know how it's going to come, and you don't know when it's going to come. And because I'm standing up here, I'll speak on your behalf. I hate that about God. You don't want to be honest today, but I'm going to be honest for you right now. Help me, Holy Ghost. I hate waiting on God. It just bothers me today. Why, why, God, why can't you tell me what I'm going to go through? Why can't you forewarn me for some of the storms in my life? I'm the type of person I like to know all the odds and ends before I jump into anything or take a risk. God, why don't you just tell me what I'm going to get myself into so at least I can prepare for it? Seems that that's the way God works the majority of the time. You know the saying. God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. Some days I wish I can look into God's cosmic planner and see what he has planned for me for my life. After all, the word says all of our days are ordained in his book before even one of them came to be. So if you know what's going to happen, you ain't going to tell me what's going to happen. So at least I can know what's going to happen in my life. Let me get prepared. I hate that about God. So this week I was praying and asking God that question. And I said, God, uh, why don't you just tell me before I get there so I can get ready for it? And believe it or not, God told me this. Even if I told you, you wouldn't be ready for it. <laughs> because if I told you, help me God, some of the stuff you were going to go through, you would be more preoccupied with the problem instead of my presence but if you were preoccupied with my presence you would not have to worry about the problem <laughs> God help me right now uh, that, 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 that's why Jesus was not disturbed when he came up on demons <laughs> that's why Jesus was not afraid when he was in the boat and everybody was crying out for fear and everybody thought they were going to die because Jesus knew God was with him. And when God is with you, no weapon formed against you can prosper. When God is with you, the favor of God, the Bible says, is as a shield around you, protecting you from the harm of the enemy. When God is with you, you have no reason to fear. Know about you, but I'd rather have God's presence than anything that God can give me. God, take all the blessings, give me you. Because if you're with me, I know you'll take care of me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You'd be surprised today. 
how many people, let me say, no, 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 not people, how many believers and how many members of the church simply want to hire God as their personal fortune teller? You'd be surprised how many members in the church just want God for his clairvoyance and what he knows about the future. You'd be surprised how many people, maybe it's you today, who really only want God for his knowledge, but really don't want God to be Lord of their lives. God, tell me what's going to happen. Prepare me before I get there. But what people seem not to understand, that what is of more value than anything else in the world is the presence of God. You cannot beat it. When God is with you, help me God. The favor of the Lord is in your life. And God says you can ask him for anything and he will do it. He will protect you from all harm. And you know what's so funny? (laughs) People today don't even realize when God is really blessing them and hardly any time does God really get the glory. And see, this is going to seem small for you, but this is big for me. The other day, I just moved out of my apartment and I hired some U-Haul movers to come and they go by an hourly rate. And so, you know, I paid them and all this kind of stuff. And I was telling them what stuff to pick up and what stuff to carry out. And then one of the movers said, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to leave at 12. We have a, another appointment that we have to get to. And so I was hurt because I still got a couch. I got two couches, a big old bed, all this kind of furniture that I need to move. And I began to say, God, I need you to cancel that appointment. God, I need you to cancel it. I need you to make sure that they stay here at least another hour. DeMario can tell you. He's a witness. He was there. And so when we got downstairs, we were loading up some things into the truck, and they were about to leave, and his phone began to ring. Picked up the phone and began to talk. He said, huh, I can't hear you. What? What did you say? Oh, are you serious? What? And hung up the phone. I looked at him and said, uh, what's going on? He said, you ain't going to believe this, but they just canceled my appointment. I turned back to DeMario and said, that was God. (laughs) There's no coincidence happening here. God did this. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that when God is with you or when you make God the Lord of your life or you put God at his highest priority in your life, God will work on your behalf. God will work things out for you. He might not work out for anybody else. When you put God first, he puts you first. Well, all right, all right, all right. Well, well, that's why the, the, the believers, the Bible says they were daily in the temple seeking his face. Saying to him, God, forgive us. Forgive our unbelief. God, we're waiting on you. Show us the way. Be thou our vision. Great is thy faithfulness. How great thou art. The Bible describes them as always in a season of prayer. Always in prayer meeting. Always seeking God's face. And now, one day as they are praying and worshiping on one accord, the Bible says, suddenly, out of nowhere, they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. That disturbs their prayer meeting and interrupts their service. And how many of you know really when God gets in your stuff, he can interrupt you. (laughs) And things will never be the same. Now understand, please, with me here. Hear me now. Understand, it's not a sound that they can ignore like a creak in the floorboards. 
It's not the sound of the alarm clock that they can turn off or something that is easily dismissed. The Bible says that the sound fills the entire house. You don't have a surround sound system like that. Where the sound dominates the acoustics in such a way that people are literally held hostage and paralyzed in the house. The way the Bible seems to be describing it is that the house is so filled with noise, sound is reverberating off of every wall into their ears, so much so that they cannot even continue praying. Now, I know that Luke says it was as the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and maybe there really was no wind in the house. But when I think about wind and noise, it takes me back to Carolina, where I'm from, where we are ripe and we are prone to have hurricane season. From the time of June to November every year, meteorologists and weather people, they tell us all the time, listen, a hurricane can pop up at any time and you need to be prepared. And being from Carolina, I've been through a few uh, hurricanes in my life. And the things that I remember most about a hurricane is, first of all, the more than 100 mile per hour gale force winds. And the sound as the wind is rustling through the trees and it destroys everything in its path. And Luke says that the sound that they are hearing actually comes from heaven. And I might just be cute today and say that what seemed to be happening inside the house was nothing short of a heavenly Holy Ghost hurricane. Okay, all right, all right. And might I add that it's always hurricane season in the church. <laughs> All right. We are always in danger. And we are always under imminent threat. That the presence of God could break out more than usual in this place. Because we call it the house of God. God has authority here. And I know you really don't believe it, but you might believe it if you actually believe the word. When the word says where two or three are gathered in his presence, there the spirit of the Lord is. So there could be any time when we come up in this place. When the spirit of God could break out more than usual and we got to shut down the sermon and just keep on singing to the glory of God. We don't got time to lift up tithes and offering, but we're going to praise his name anyway. We're going to shout. We're going to dance. We're going to lift up our hands and praise God. It's always hurricane season in the church. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself if you think otherwise. Because if you think otherwise, now you're limiting God. You ought to be ashamed of yourself if you think God can only move with the service that is printed on paper. You ought to be ashamed of yourself if you think God can't move differently from Sabbath to Sabbath. You ought to be ashamed of yourself when somebody lifts their voice and praises God and it's not on the liturgy, but you don't know what they've been through. That's why I don't get upset today. People want to dance and shout in church. Do your thing. I never get mad 
And I'm not particularly perturbed when people lift their hands in church and they shout or they want to carry on the special music a little longer or the song has to go longer or the preacher has to preach longer. Amen, somebody. The truth is only people that really get mad when that happens are people who are not expecting God to move. And if you're not expecting God to move, why are you here? Why are you praying? Why are you wasting your time in church if you don't expect God to break the boss that you set for him? Surely, 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 the presence of God is more valuable and more powerful than anything we can print on paper. Help me, God. Well, the Bible says, stick with the text, stick with the text. I'm not making this up today. Now, after they had opened their eyes, not only are they hearing the sound of God as he is invading the room, now they are seeing a physical manifestation of the presence of God. The Bible says that they now see tongues of fire. (laughs) That rested on their heads and all of them were filled. They were what? With the Holy Ghost. Now let's stop right here for a moment. There is no way to fill a full vessel. I wish I had help. There's no way that you can fill a full vessel. A vessel that is already full by nature, cannot be filled anymore. God can only fill you as much as you make room for him. And, 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 and. The the, the more you empty yourself of yourself, the more you make room for him, and the more he can fill you. It always surprises me in church today how many people want the filling of the Holy Ghost and what the promises and the blessings of God, but are not willing to sacrifice anything for him. Not willing to give up anything, not willing to sacrifice, surely not willing to surrender all. Don't ask God to fill your cup unless you are ready for him to empty it out first. (laughs) Before God can put stuff in, Pastor, first he's got to take some stuff out. And realize that when you ask God in your life before he can do anything, he has to take what I think and what I'd like to call the machete of life, machete of truth, of unrighteousness, of holiness and of his word, and go through the jungle of your foolishness and the jungle of your unrighteousness and the jungle of your past mistakes and make room for him to come in. But you can't have the filling of the Holy Ghost if there's no more room for God to fill you. You got so many bad people in your life. Oh, come on, say amen. You got so many bad habits in your life. You go to many bad places, and you know you do. Don't expect God to bless your mess. Oh, Father in heaven. Not to mention when God comes in, 
God also has to rewire your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, now I get it. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your God comes in, he must literally rewire your mind. And most of us don't realize this, but the ministry of Jesus was not so much about teaching and learning, but more so about unteaching and unlearning. <clears throat> okay, here it is, here it is. Half of your spiritual growth is learning what you don't know. The other half of your spiritual growth is God helping you to unlearn the stuff that you think you know about him. Many of us have so many preconceived notions about God and we put God in such a tight fitting box. Now God has limits on what he can do in our life. Don't box God in. That's why when Jesus came, he had so many statements that said, you say, but I say unto you. You say, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for those which despitefully use you and persecute you. You say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, but I say, if somebody slaps you across one of your cheeks, turn the other cheek and let them slap you again. Christ's whole ministry was unteaching people and unlearning people from what they thought they knew about him. That's why the scribes and the Pharisees just could not get it. They thought Christ came to set up an earthly kingdom, pastor. But God said unto them, listen, my kingdom is not of this world, and my kingdom is both within you and is yet to come. And when God comes into our lives, he must help us unlearn stuff as well. Most of all, he's got to help us unlearn fear. My Bible tells me that the spirit that we have does not give us a spirit of fear, but in fact of power. Thank you, God. Love and a sound mind. God's got to root that out of us and help us not to make decisions on fear, not fight or flight, but help us to make decisions on faith. So help me God but you don't make decisions on faith you don't take God at his word my Bible says unto me if I delight myself in the Lord he will give me the desires of my heart I've got to trust I don't know how he's going to do it but God's going to do it I don't know when he's going to do it but I know that God's timing knows no haste and no delay wouldn't it be nice if Christians actually acted in faith rather than fear God must help us when he comes into our lives to unroot those things that we think we know about him. Well, that's why the disciples could be filled to the brim and overflowing. They had spent so much time praying and seeking God together. And so when the Holy Ghost fell, now God could have complete control. But here's what I really like. One of my favorite authors puts it this way. She says that, when the Holy Spirit fell on these 120 believers who are now trapped in this house by a cacophony of noise and sound, <laughs> and who they are paralyzed in this room as the presence of God is invading their space. She says, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, in an instant, they automatically knew the entire gospel. When the Spirit fell, 
They actually understood everything that Jesus was trying to tell them. Oh, snap! That's what he meant. At that moment, in a moment, in a blink and in a twinkling of an eye, they understood the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. They understood Adam and Eve. They understood Moses. They understood Abraham and Joseph and Joshua. They understand why Jesus came, why he had to die on the cross. They understood exactly how God was going to bring us and and usher us into heaven and bring us back unto himself and how his death mattered to our salvation in a moment. They had complete and utter clarity. I pray for that own clarity in my own life. God will make plain to me his truth. And God will make plain to me exactly what he came to do. And that I may never forget what God has done for John Anthony Copesom in his life. He was wounded for my transgressions. And bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I am healed. Well, it's interesting. (laughs) They automatically know everything. Bible says they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And then the word says, I guess somehow the sound leaks out of the house because the word says that God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, which is another way of saying, aren't all these brothers from the ghetto? They are uneducated and unlearned. They don't have letters behind their name. How are they speaking our languages so fluently to us and we completely, with utter clarity, understand exactly what they are saying? And if you keep on reading the text, what you'll find out is that these brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters... Yeah, okay, all right. Let's stay right here for one minute. <laughs> the Spirit of God. <laughs> Should I do it? <clears throat> and the presence of God is not discriminatory. The Spirit of God falls on men and women. <clears throat> the Spirit of God falls on girls and boys. The Spirit of God falls on young and old. The Spirit of God falls on anybody who is willing and ready to receive truth, knowledge, and the presence of God. Anybody can be anointed. Anybody can be ordained. Anybody can preach God's truth. Anybody can proclaim the good news of God. Anybody can stand where I'm standing right now and save somebody's soul from hell. If God ordains it, it is surely possible. And we ought not stand in the way. Yeah, I know it is. It's the truth, though. The spirit fell on men, women, boys, girls, young and old. People from everywhere, black and white. Hallelujah. Mm. 
And you can see that if you read this text, there's about 15 different languages and 15 different dialects <laughs> that these 120 believers are speaking. Now, it's funny. If you skip down to verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And then verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, that's so interesting because in the world today, in the church and in the world, we basically have two types of people. We have people who are accepting of the truth of God. And we have people who really don't want anything to do with God. And when they don't get what God is doing, they ridicule and trivialize the work and the power of God. So, 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 so there's one group who wants the truth of God. And you know what the Bible says about them? The Bible says that they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. In other words, if you open up your mouth, God will fill that thing. Anybody who wants to experience the presence of God, they can experience the presence of God. I told the first service this. I was watching a debate the other day amongst uh, scientists. One of them was Bill Nye, the science guy. I know y'all remember him. <coughs> He's actually a real scientist. And uh, yeah, I know it's crazy, right? Um, <coughs> help me, Lord. Uh, Bill Nye was debating this creation scientist, creationist scientist. In other words, this scientist who actually believes in God. And Bill Nye brought the proposal that science basically disproves God. Ken Ham, the guy who was debating him, basically said, no, science actually proves God. So they're debating back and forth. I think the debate was like two hours or whatever. And it seems like Bill Nye is really winning. He's just like, you can't bring the Bible into this. This is not authoritative. I'm telling you what I can see and what I can prove. And Ken Ham was trying to debate him. Yada, yada, yada. And most people believe that Bill Nye won the debate. But at the end, in his closing arguments, Ken Ham said something that I thought was very profound. He said, listen, you've heard the arguments of Bill Nye. You've heard everything that I have said. You can look in the books and you can see all the data and the reports. You can look and see the research and everything that can be proven. But here is what I must tell you. If you want to experience God, God will show himself to you. I can't prove it. Don't got no evidence for it. But if you want to experience God sincerely and genuinely... God will show up in your life. And homeboy challenged a whole room of researchers and scientists. Go to your word and search the scriptures for yourself. Remove your biases and see if God will not show up in your life. So there's always that one group that is hungry for truth and knowledge. They don't care where it comes from. And so if it comes from God, great. And they'll accept it for what it is. But there's also another group of people. Verse 13. Some, however... Mm -hmm made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Mm. <laughs> and to me, it's just interesting that the main detractors of what God was doing and the loudest voices against the work and the power of God are the people who were not at the prayer meeting. I wish I could just walk out of here right now. The people who have the most to say against God are the people who were not in prayer in the first place. 
Y'all don't follow me today. I'm talking to myself up here. The, 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 the main people who are ridiculing the disciples and the other believers are the people who worked in prayer and who don't know what the presence of God is like. You got to be careful in your own life how you let people trivialize and ridicule the power of God in your life. Be careful how you allow people to trivialize this thing and realize that if they weren't with you in prayer, they're not going to be with you afterwards. If they weren't with you praying while you were in the test, they ought not be with you or have anything to say when you're trying to make your testimony. And how is it that we often allow, uh, allow unspiritual people to give us advice on spiritual things? And once you become a believer, hear me now clearly, every decision you make is spiritual. So how you going to take advice from somebody who's not in prayer? How you going to take advice from somebody who does not seek the presence or the power of God? You ought not accept advice from Oprah or Dr. Phil before you check your word. How you going to read a self-help book and get your life together? You're a believer, aren't you? <laughs> but it's just funny, the main people who weren't even there, they're the ones talking against it. They said somehow or ever made fun of them and said these brothers have had too much wine. In other words, listen, these brothers and sisters are drunk, move along people, there's nothing to see here. And Sister White says that the main people who were saying this were the priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. They were the ones in the crowd that day who were screaming, crucify Jesus. So watch this now. I want you to turn to your Bibles, Acts 2, 13 and 14, so you don't see that I'm making this up. And I promise you, I'm done right here. I'm tired anyway. Acts chapter 2, <laughs> verse 13. <clears throat> Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Next verse. Then Peter stood up. Mm, oh, God. As soon as they began to ridicule and trivialize the work of God, the Bible says Peter stands up. <laughs> With the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now right there, Peter kind of told on himself right there. And pretty much let everybody know that he maybe was a drunk then, he just got converted or he was a drunk in the past because he was like, it's only nine in the morning. Now, if it's 9 p.m., that's a different story. We might be turning up for Jesus, but it's only 9 a.m. right now. So, 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 so we're not drunk. But the funniest thing of all is that the reason Peter gets up, he gets up right after people start making fun of what God was doing and how people were ascribing the work of God to human flawless. Flawless. <laughs> Peter says, listen, brothers, I don't want you to think for a second that uh, this is of our doing. I want you to know right now, this is of God. This is of the power of the Holy Ghost. This did not come from wine or drinking. What we have right now, if you think we're drunk, we're surely not drunk off a of Sirach right now. 
We're not drunk off of any type of wine. What we have has been given to us by God. The Bible says, this is Peter preaching now, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, I cannot let you leave here today thinking that this was of a human design. God did this. And wouldn't it be nice if many Christians would give God the glory that is due his name? I just realized that this week, Willie. I realized that God is not getting enough glory from my life. There's too many people in my circle of friends who probably don't even know that I'm a Christian, let alone a pastor. Sometimes I get worried that I'm more prone to talk about sports and media and what's happening in the news rather than being willing to pray with somebody and encourage them. Sometimes I get upset with myself that I use my social media to post every conceivable type of picture of myself rather than tell somebody what I got from church or the joy that I'm experiencing as a result of having a relationship with God. Peter said, I'm not going to let you leave here today thinking that what happened and the blessing that we have came from us. No, it came from God. And don't you know that's what the Holy Spirit does? Holy Spirit helps us deflect glory from ourselves and give it back to God. You know you're a real and mature Christian when you're constantly deflecting glory to God. You're not afraid to say praise God to people who are not even spiritual. You are not afraid to say, might I pray with you? You're not afraid to leave a verse for them or encourage them in the Lord because you know who's the author of your salvation. You know who your God is and you know how you got there. It wasn't by you. It was by God. So Peter said, no, I can't stand for this. You're not going to leave here today thinking that this was by us. This was of God. Skip down now, verse 36. I'm done. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, in this text, I see a whole lot. Peter says, you crucified Christ, but he's now Lord and Messiah. In literary talk, we're actually seeing that Peter is putting in juxtaposition the crucifixion and Christ being Lord and Messiah. They are opposites. And actually, it doesn't make sense. From a human perspective, God or Christ did not win. He lost. (laughs) Okay, I can't get no help. Don't be afraid, brothers and sisters. Say amen. Christ lost. When he died on the cross, he lost. In fact, the entire whole of Jesus' life was a, a, a streak of losing. Christ was a mama's boy and lived in his mama's house till he was 30 years old. Christ had no money of his own. He was poor. 
And on top of that, he was homeless. He even told his disciples, listen, foxes have their holes and birds have their nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his hand. Even his closest friends in his most trying hour left him by himself. He was crucified on the cross, and during that time, that's the most ignominious and embarrassing way you can die. On top of that, he had nowhere to lay his dead body. Had it not been for Joseph of Arimathea taking kindness on him, Jesus would have had nowhere to be buried. Even after he resurrected, he tried to get his disciple or his so-called friends to get what he was saying, and none of them got the message. So from a human perspective, Christ lost. But from heaven's perspective, he is now victorious. And the Bible says that God has given him a name that is higher than any other name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. So what is Peter saying? Peter is saying, listen, you brothers, you, you crucify Jesus and take that to yourself right now. Because the Bible even says every time we sin, we crucify him afresh and we bring him to an open shame. Every time we fall, every time we make a mistake, we put Jesus back on the cross. We take the hammer in our hands and we nail him to the cross all over again. That's what the Bible says. And Peter tells them, you're the ones who crucified him, but I'm here today to let you know he is now Lord and Messiah. So when you get time, go home today and read Acts of the Apostles chapter 3 on Pentecost and read what Sister White says there she says that the Holy Spirit not only came to give them power or to be power in their lives but the coming of the Holy Spirit was a sign to them that the sacrifice of Jesus had been accepted in heaven in other words when the Holy Spirit came They knew that Christ was victorious. When the Holy Spirit fell, they recognized assuredly now that we are now all washed in the blood of the Lamb. Every mistake that we have made, are making right now or ever could make, will be washed clean one day. God will wipe our slate clean. He's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. His chastisement was on us, was on him. And with his stripes, we are healed. When the Holy Spirit came, they recognized that day. Christ had been successful. So when you receive the Holy Spirit today, you ought to recognize that God is victorious. That God is king. And that his presence is his power. Not that God possesses power. And can I say this today? I'm closing. I'm done right here. You don't need God to do anything for you as much as you need God to be with you. I know I'm telling the truth. You don't need God You ought not ask God to do anything else for you until you have asked him to be with you. Because see, here's the problem. If God were to bless you right now the way that you are, if God were to really give you 
what you are really asking for, at the end of the day, it would take you to hell. Because without the spirit or the presence of God, you would not know how to handle it. You're asking God for more money. And God is basically saying, if I give you more money, you will not be saved. If I bless you the way you want to be blessed, it's going to take you in the other direction. But if you beg and you plead for my presence, I will keep you until my coming. So heads about, eyes are closed right now. I really only have one. It's simple. I try never to be deep. I want you to receive this today. You need God, his presence in your life. You don't need another sermon that you can memorize. You do not need another text that you can quote at any time. You need to have the assurance in your life that God is with you. You know what I'm happy about today, man? <laughs> yes. I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. All throughout high school and all throughout college and all throughout grad school, I questioned myself and wondering if I had the skills necessary to be in ministry. I wondered if I should be up here telling other people about the good news of God when there were clearly other brothers out there who could preach better, who could sing better, who could shout better, who could hoop better. God told me none of that matters. There's nothing I could give you that would make you suitable for the job. If you have my presence, you have everything else. Give me you, God. Everything else can wait. I declare today the favor of God has been on my life since the day I answered the call. I'm not being arrogant today. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm trying to help you understand what I'm saying. I feel that God has been literally picking me up and placing my feet on solid ground. feel like God is ordering my steps despite who I am and I love the assurance thank you God of knowing that God is with me but if you're only praying for what God can bless you with you don't have that assurance but what you need today in the storms of life brothers and sisters is not a blessing you don't need a miracle You don't need the clouds to be spread apart and the sun to shine out. 
You need the presence of God. You need to know that God is going to be with you come hell or high water. And, and understand this, understand this, understand this. The blessing of being a Christian is not that all your days are going to be easy. I'm not one of those preachers. I'm not going to tell you that. In fact, when you come to God, there's a target on your back. For now, you have aligned yourself against the enemy. But what I, the, the, the biggest benefit of being a Christian is knowing that God will be with me. And no harm can come nigh my dwelling. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Oh my God. When you seek the presence of God, over the blessings of God. God will make your life worth living. <laughs> Sister White says, one sinner on his knees is more powerful than Satan in his entire heaven, entire host. I Means as a Christian, I ought to not fear anything. The Lord is my light. And my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's why David said I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. I don't have to go in. I just want to be where God is. So let's make this thing plain. If you recognize today you just want the presence of God in your life, just stand to your feet. I just want the presence. I don't want anything. I don't want you to ask him for anything in this moment. When you leave this house, maybe you can ask him for whatever.